The Word of God comes to us this morning from the book of Acts. There, once again, the uh, 20th chapter. And uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, may not have been here last week uh, or weeks before, uh, we take turns preaching. We've been on sort of four-week cycles working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, the first team has been up. The second team has been up. And uh, now the practice team is uh, dressed out and, and on the field. And uh, it's, it's me, uh, Woody, who is one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, uh, we're picking up where Josh left off. Last week he finished it, Acts chapter 20, verse 12. And so we're picking up at verse 13. If you have your Bible with you, if you have your New Testament with you, if you have your iPad or iPhone or whatever in the world you read the, God's Word on, uh, that would be the best thing to have. If not, in your bulletin you'll find uh, the words of Acts uh, chapter 20, verses 13 uh, through 38. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mightily. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, and there, and that day, uh, the next day, excuse me, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, Paul knew that... Uh, if he got to Ephesus, he would get hung up there because everybody in the congregation would want to kill the fatted calf and entertain him and keep him because they loved him. He had been there for three years and planted the church and all of that. And uh, so he bypassed it and went to Miletus. But from Miletus, he called the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, uh, down to him. We'll talk about that in, in just a minute. But there's an intriguing thing here, he said. He, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And after reading that a hundred or more times, I guess, over the years, the question occurred to me, why? <laughs> why? Why was he in such a hurry to get to Pentecost? Why was he driven to get to Pentecost? And, and, and so when you first think about it, you say, well, that's one of the three uh, Feast of Weeks, which preceded Pentecost, and that's one of the three great feasts of, of Judaism and Jews from all over the world was sort of supposed to get back, male Jews anyway, were supposed to get back to Jerusalem if at all possible to celebrate those feasts. And so perhaps that's what it was. Uh, he was on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to observe the feast as a good Jew. But then you read down and you get a little bit farther down from where we are right now. And it says, Paul says, he was compelled to go to Jerusalem, not because of Jewish tradition, but by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was moving him to go to Jerusalem. And I read that and it finally registered on me and, and I got to thinking about how much that sounds like Jesus. 
on the way to Jerusalem. Remember uh, the middle, uh, well, it's not the middle. It's the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, but it's kind of the middle of the story. It, it, it's, the story's been kind of ascending like this up, and it gets to this high point. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and said, who do all those people say that I am? And, and so they said, well, you're this or that. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And you know Jesus' response, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonas, because, you know, that hasn't just been uh, something you thought up in your mind, but the Father gave you that. And on this rock I will build my church, etc., etc. But then, the next thing you read is about what I call the divine imperative to Jesus and oftentimes to us. Matthew writes, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer, be killed, die, and be raised on the third day. He must. And it's interesting, you read the Gospels, and again, you know, I've You've already got all the but gods underscored, surely, by this point, and, and, and the key buts there. Underline that word must. And, and you see how many times it comes up, or, or a like word, that, you know, a synonym of it. Jesus must do this. Jesus must suffer. Jesus must die. All of these things. Why? For you. For me. For us. Verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, before I go further, just make a note there that he uses, he called the elders of the church to him. Just make a mental note. And he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I'm going to stop here just one last time. Verse 17, he called the elders of the church to him at Miletus. Verse 28, he told them, 
to uh, be, pay attention uh, to themselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Other places, same word, translated bishop. To care for, or literally to shepherd, the other word for that is to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders, overseers, bishops, care for, shepherd, pastor, all to the same men holding the same office. Looked at from the three perspectives that have to do with eldering, if you will. There is a title of elder, a title of respect, uh, due to elders' great wisdom picked up over the years of their life, and that's why uh, young guys ought not be elected elder until they've at least got some bumps and, uh, and bruises and from, from life as well as had time to grow in the knowledge of Christ and of the scriptures. Uh, Then there are the overseers who oversee the spiritual life of the church. And then there's the pastoring responsibility, that is dealing with the nitty-gritties with this individual and this individual and this individual under that grand umbrella of oversight of the congregation. Same people, the elders of the church. We have teaching elders, we have ruling elders, they have basically the same responsibilities, they're the same people. Enough said. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the only place you read that. It was something he said that did not get recorded in the Gospels, but there were a lot of things he said that didn't get recorded in the Gospels. But, uh, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. That's the reading of the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, you have spoken. Grant us ears to hear. Touch us, O Lord, mind, heart, and will by your spirit, by your word this day. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we've just read uh, Paul and his team, and note again, Luke's part of the team. He's back on the team now. Uh, as we set sail, etc., uh, was on their way to Jerusalem uh, for Passover. But he stopped over to speak some final words to the Ephesian elders. If we were to reduce what he said to them to a word, it would be 
faithfulness. Paul testified that he had been faithful in his ministry. He exhorted them to be faithful in their ministry. And then third, he committed them to God who is ever faithful. Paul was faithful to Christ. He was faithful to his calling. He was faithful to the gospel. And he says that, as we just heard, uh, in, in several different ways from several different angles. They, the elders, were to be faithful guardians, first of all, to the, of themselves, and then of the flock. And they were, to a point, from this time on. When you turn to Paul's letters to Timothy, you read in both 1st and 2nd Timothy, of things going on in the church there at Ephesus, these very things that he warned them about in his farewell address to them that they were having to deal with, and they did deal with them. You get to the book of Revelation and you read the words of Jesus. The head of the church to these elders of this particular church there in Ephesus. In chapter 2, he says to them through John, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Words of commendation. Read on. But... That's that hinge word and everything swings around now. But I have this against you, that you left your first love. That's what can happen when you're, you're not faithful to, to guard yourself. You can fall away from faith, which they didn't do. He commends them for their perseverance. Or you can reduce it to a dead orthodoxy, which they did. In protecting the church from false teaching, they in fact reduced it to simply a dead orthodoxy. And they strayed from their first love. Well, anyway, this is a natural passage to speak from to pastors, uh, teachers, to elders, to other church leaders. I've spoken, I guess, at my leadership retreats from this passage, Presbyterian meetings at worship services there from, from, from this passage, verse 28 in particular. I've spoken at the the ordination of, of teaching and ruling elders, at the installation of teaching and ruling elders, all from verse 28. But it just sort of deals with elders. You've got a, an apostle, a missionary, and you've got elders, and that's all that are in the room. 
And so I could do that this morning, teach, there's five of us elders here, well, there's six or seven maybe elders here, counting ones from other churches that are here. Uh, There's a handful of teachers and maybe some other leaders. But that would leave a lot of people sitting there, you know, the the rest of you, uh, just plain old regular everyday garden variety Christians who are trying to live for Jesus, uh, sort of out in the cold. You might understand a little bit more about what we're supposed to be doing, but what does it say to you? Plains Church, where I used to be, the praise band used to play and sing this song, Faithfulness, Faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness is what you want from me. Here's my point. To everyone, not just elders, but to everyone, You too should be known for your faithfulness to your calling, whatever that calling may be. This isn't much of an expository sermon. It's more of an applicatory sermon, I guess. We take what we said and then just run with it. First point is this. Roman number one. Christ has called you. In several areas. He's called everyone in several areas of life. He's called you, first of all, to himself. By repentance and faith. He calls you to repent of your sin. That doesn't mean you just feel bad about it or anything like that. It means to turn away from it. But then also, once you've turned away from it, he's called you to turn away from it to faith, to belief, to trust, to rest in him. If you you don't do that, if you simply repent and you turn away from your sin and you don't turn to Jesus, you wind up in a far worse place than you were when you began. And he calls you to that faith and repentance by his word or through his word and his spirit. It's the word and the spirit applying the word to us that, that renews us and brings us to that point of true repentance and faith. It's by his word and spirit working on our mind, our will, our heart, changing us that he calls us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're here checking us out, see what, you know, what craziness we're going to say next, what we're about, what we're doing, what we believe, what we think, he's calling you too. He's calling you this morning. The very opening of the word of God and the reading of the word of God is inherently the call of Jesus Christ to come to faith and repentance. To believe this word that comes from God that is authoritative, that is saving, that will point you to the only way of eternal life. So he's calling you this morning as well to repent and to rest in him. Secondly, he's called you to a vocation. <clears throat> and you may say, well, whoa, wait a minute. Because oftentimes we think of this idea of vocation, the doctrine of vocation is the doctrine of, of ministry, of, of, of church office or church position or whatever. I'm not talking about ministers or, 
or missionaries or, or church workers, that sort of thing. He calls everyone to something. Actually, he calls us all to several things. And someone is sitting here uh, with this many wives and mothers and mothers-to-be and whatever. Somebody's sitting there. But I'm just a wife. I'm just a mother. I don't have a high calling. I'm just a wife and mother. What? What in the world is more important than that? What on the face of this globe is a more responsible calling than that? Shame on you for thinking that. But he calls us each to be wives, mothers, dads, fathers. Are you a teacher? Are you, I don't know. Are you an operator in a plant? Are you a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief? What are you? Are you an engineer? <laughs> Odds are you are in this particular room. <laughs> Why? Why are you an engineer? How'd you get to be an engineer? Where'd you get the intellect to do the work required of an engineer? Where did this psychological makeup to be an engineer come from? Where'd the skill set come from? What God used you to call you into that, to point you toward it. Why aren't you an architect? Or vice versa. Because you don't have that stuff to make an architect any more than they've got to make an engineer. It's part of what Jesus uses to call you into doing whatever you're doing. He's called you to be faithful in all areas of life. To him, to the gospel, to one another. He's called you to be faithful in each and every one of your callings. And you have several, don't you? You're not simply a wife and mom. You're not simply an engineer or an architect or an artist or a musician or an accountant or whatever you may be. He's called you to follow him. And where could that lead but to a cross? In other words, faithfulness is costly. I said the words, I said the name of Jim Everyone who has heard that name, would you great? I'm serious. I'm just, okay, I'm pretty good. And you know how they do this. I have a history. What if I called on you and asked you to tell me something that I just found? How many of you have raised your hands? I just want to see how many of you really know. It's a generational thing. It's it's one of those generational things. I knew it when I said I will quote him. Uh, But anyway, Jim Elliott was a missionary. uh, Graduated Wheaton College probably late 40s, early 50s. Uh, A long time ago for some of you. Last week for others of us. Uh, He wrote in his diary, he kept a prayer diary wrote in his prayer diary, God, I pray thee 
light these, these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. God is No, this is going to be the of the day to come day. But the hands of the very Archimedes that he had gone to Ecuador to bring the gospel to. Faithfulness can be possible. It will always cost you something. It may or may not cost you your life. But it hurts at times. And it's hard to and we can speak glibly from the pulpit about it. But this isn't where it's hard. Just an aside, just so you know the whole story of Jim Elliott, for those of you who don't. He married a woman named Elizabeth, a girl named Elizabeth back then. They had a daughter, Valerie. And uh, uh, Jim died long before the mission. And Elizabeth. And Ruth said, and says, I think it's fine, fine. Stayed there or came back there. And, and led the very men who killed their husbands to Christ. Valerie, by the way, married a boy from New Orleans. And uh, he pastored a church in Baldwin, Louisiana, right outside of. Uh, uh, Franklin, Louisiana, uh, used to pass by all the time. Uh, he's no longer a boy. He's, he's not as old as I am, but he's probably in his 60s. Uh, and I lost track of him. I don't know where they are now. But, and I could tell you more about it, but I won't. Second point. Roman number two. Do you have a personal mission statement? Jim Elliott did. Betsy Elizabeth Elliott did. By the way, she died that in 2015. We do as a church, see if I can say it, the mission of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church is to worship God with, all our, with our whole lives as well as to multiply, equip, and to send worshipers into God's world to his glory. That's our mission statement. That's your mission statement as part of uh, South Boundaries Presbyterian Church. By the way, we got a four-page version of that. We got a one-page version of that. All we got, the one I sort of can say. Uh, all those other things really aren't the statement. They're what, how we came to the statement and how we fulfilled the statement. Do you have one for yourself? Just a personal mission statement? Paul did. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He was running a course. He was running a race. What course are you on? What's your course that you've set for this life? What's your mission in this life? What do you want to accomplish above all things in this life? That if only you can accomplish this, 
whatever it is, your life will be complete and full. And you will rest in that. What's dearer to you than life itself? If anything. And the answer to that question might tell you a lot. So, I have a suggestion for you. And I I really, honestly, hope you'll take it seriously. Uh, Because I'm as serious as death right now. Uh, I I mean this in a decision. I'd like for you today or this week sometime to get off by yourself. To sit down in a quiet place and to write out a formal mission statement for the rest of your life. And I want you to use the portion of verse 24 that's printed at the bottom of your of that note section in your bulletin. By the way, I had the hardest time keeping that in this bulletin. We, we, the guy who's preaching does the bulletin each week. So I do the bulletin. But then you send it out to your partners in crime who proofread the bulletin. And so I get it back, and one guy has, has deleted those lines. He said, there were some extraneous lines there. And the other guy says, well, there was a strange, just a, a, a Bible verse just stuck down there at the bottom. And so he deleted that. And anyway, I had to put it all back. But anyway, it's there for a purpose. <laughs> it's there for a purpose. I want you to use that. You know, it says... But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to... And then you fill in the blank. Paul had his calling. Paul had his ministry. And so he said what it was. You say what yours might be. You won't do it in five minutes. It may take you a month or two or six months or whatever. But I'd like for you to start through that process. You may wind up with four or six or eight pages before you get to that succinct one-sentence statement of what you want your life to be. What you want to accomplish in this life for Jesus Christ. You take time to do that. And you pray about it. And you think about it. But do it. And then when finally you've got it done, then begin to faithfully live it out day by day by day. Third, Roman number three, the sad, sad, sad fact. It's a truth that you and I are all too unfaithful all too often. And we're not alone in that. But who of us can compete with Paul and his faithfulness? Just read his testimony there of his faithfulness. But even Paul failed. And in charging those Ephesian elders to be faithful, he knew they would fail. I mean, Paul failed to this extent. He came to the point where he identified himself 
as the chief of sinners. He did that in the first century. See, that was a long time before you and me got here. You and I got here. Yeah, so. But he failed. And you're going to fail. And they were going to fail. And we're all going to fail. But God, there they are. But God is always faithful. God never fails. And so we stand up and we sing. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. As thou hast been, thine shall ever, well, whatever it is. They, they, thy compassions, they change not. As thou hast been, thou always shalt be. Thank God for sermon notes. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Great is thy faithfulness unto me. New mercies every morning I see. God's not just just faithful in some transcendent, impersonal, detached sort of way. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. He's faithful to all his people. All he wants is for you and for me to be faithful to him in return. Now that doesn't seem like so much to ask, does it? Until you realize that it's entirely too much to ask. Because we cannot be faithful to him as you and I ought to be. We will always fail. We'll always be unfaithful. We'll always bend. By God's grace, we won't break. And Paul knew that about those Ephesian elders. Even as he was charging them to be faithful. So what did he do? He committed them to the faithful God and his word of grace. Verse 32. And to the word of his grace. His word of grace. The word of grace. His grace. Grace. Not the word of his law. Not the word of his judgment. Not the word of his condemnation, but the word of his grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin, all our unfaithfulness, all our failings. Greater than all your sin. All your unfaithfulness. All your failings. That is.
And so we come to the closing prayer. And this is our prayer. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness is what you want from me. Take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Well,